Welcome to the Ask the Expert podcast, where you'll learn key insights, tips, and strategies from experts across the globe to help you create the life and business of your dreams. Now, let's welcome your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Hi, everyone. This is Anne-Marie Cross back with you with another Ask the Expert show. And of course, we've been spending some time with Laurie Rosenberg. And this is episode four, Key Systems to Boost Profits in Your Law Practice. And if this is the first time that you've joined us, then I really encourage you to go back and listen to the other episodes because Laurie has been sharing so many valuable tips and strategies to help you build a successful law practice. The first episode, we talk about how to build your client base quickly even if you've just started your law practice. Episode two, we talked all about how to make your law practice stand out with a winning signature brand. And of course, the last episode, episode three, we spoke about how to get paid what you're worth in your law practice, which is what all lawyers are looking for. But before we introduce Laurie and have her come on the show, I just want to share with you a little bit about who she is, because she really is um, an incredible, incredible person. Now, Laurie is the founder and CEO of I Ideas Consultation and Coaching LLC. She consults and works with immigration lawyers and professionals so they can achieve winning results for clients by brilliantly analyzing, strategizing, and persuasively briefing and resolving complex legal issues and client cases. Laurie coaches dedicated lawyers, leaders, and entrepreneurs to breakthrough performance, productivity, and prosperity barriers, adopt a winning mindset, unleash their unique potential, and confidently leverage their expertise so they can create phenomenal prosperity and fulfillment in their law practice. So welcome to the show, Laurie. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Glad to be here. Now, we're talking all about key systems today, and when we have key systems in place, it boosts our profits. So let's talk about some of the problems, these common problems that you see with law practices when they don't have key systems in place. Okay, well, let's start off with the problems, and then I can I can share with you some of the great solutions that I have for practitioners. Um, you know, a lot of lawyers, particularly those who go to trial and talk in front of the court, are practiced at, they're familiar with kind of a shoot from the hip mentality. The prosecutor throws a left hook at you and, and you're ready to respond in a certain way. And there's no way you really could have prepared for that. And so you just kind of are ad-libbing. So a lot of lawyers grow up or in their practices with that kind of a mentality. They're used to responding without warning, acting quickly, and not preparing. And they look at preparing or systems or any structure as a confining vehicle. But in fact, what I'm here to tell everybody is that really systems are a very liberating vehicle. The whole reason to have systems, and we'll talk about this a little more later, is for the freedom of movement and creativity that they give you. Some lawyers bring to their practice a kind of a crisis mentality. They're very disorganized. They're fielding one urgent matter after another. The telephone is ringing. Clients are demanding a response or services. The judge may be calling from a court. And as a result, what they're doing is just kind of stopping the bleeding. They're responding to one crisis, one urgent matter 
after another, and they let events get away from them. Mm. Um, as, you're ta- so- as you're talking, Laurie, I'm getting exhausted just listening <laughs> to how someone is conducting their business. So what is the cost? You know, because often some people don't recognize that this is the, the pattern that they're following. So what really is the cost? I mean, obviously, they're exhausted, they're inefficient, but what other costs are they bringing to their business because they don't have these systems in place? How's it impacting well- in a negative way? Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, the, the bottom line is at the dollar sign, because when a lawyer is acting, functioning in this way, in this kind of crisis mentality, and instead of being in control of how he or she practices, letting those events control him or her, what happens is, is that clients leave, clients uh, never get picked up because the lawyer wasn't available to see them, clients drag their feet cases take longer. You can't move on to a new matters that would bring in new dollars. And so in that sense, the disorganization goes right into your profit system. Mm. It's also very draining on your staff or your team. And if you have a staff or team that is bogged down by you, the uh, the business owner, then they're not going to be performing up to speed and they're not going to like the job that they're doing, and they're going to pass that on to you and to your clients. So uh, it's just a bad situation all around, and there is a huge cost to it. And sometimes it can really affect someone's reputation. Now, let me just say one thing here, though, Anne-Marie, because, you know, I don't think lawyers intentionally do this. I think that many lawyers attempt to be organized and they attempt to be responsible and they want to be on top of things. Some lawyers just don't really know what are the key steps? What's Mm -hmm. the first thing they should do? Why are systems important? They just don't even understand it. Yeah. So, I mean, you've, you've shared some of the common problems, but also how that's going to impact. And I think that's really important to let people be aware of because sometimes when you're in your own business and you're just doing the, the daily action steps that you need to do, you can't actually see the impact, the negative impact it's having. So I think that's really important. So let's just switch it on its head then and give you an opportunity to share why systems are so important and once you have those systems in place what you can expect to achieve and the results you know obviously the positive results because sometimes it's a matter of looking at where we can be in our business and the impact for us to say you know what we really do need to step back take some time to get some of these key systems in place so what are some of the benefits what are some of the outcomes once we have these in place absolutely well the first thing i have to say is that you know some of the very same lawyers who are complaining and miserable because they are so overwhelmed with this disorganized state of affairs that they have and uh, the lack of systems when you suggest systems to them they get a little bit uh, frightened. And I've seen many lawyers kind of go like, well, no, no, I have my own way of doing things. But the the truth is systems are not rigid. Systems, the fact that you have systems that you put in place does not mean that you're constricted or you you have to do something in a way that's not comfortable to you. Systems are just making things more predictable. And in that way, they allow greater creativity and freedom in the practice of law or in the running of any business for that matter. And so they're very important because they're so liberating. Mm -hmm. And you really, until you experience it, it's almost hard to imagine it. 
I know it's kind of funny. You know, lawyers tend to have, immigration lawyers especially, tend to have a certain type of web-based systems that they use, you know, technology systems that they use. And many people do think, that they'll say to me, oh, yeah, I have this or that program. I use this, that system. Yes, that is a system, and it is a system for one aspect of practice. But when I'm talking about systems and why they're so liberating and why they're so necessary, and how I can really help lawyers to just expand with great joy and in great enjoyment as they enrich themselves and their clients. I'm talking about a much bigger sense of systems. Mm. Can I tell you what some of them are? Yeah, absolutely. Just before you do, though, I mean, you mentioned that one of the a key point, and I think this is really important just to stress, is that often we don't recognize that there is a need for a, a system. And we may think, look, we've got all that covered. We've got this online system that we use, and that really helps us to maintain and, and manage our, our practice. Are there any other reasons why lawyers may not be implementing these systems? Is it really just a built around the the non-awareness of that? I think it is. A lot is attributable to non-awareness. Lawyers often tend to get kind of hyper-focused on the legal work that we're doing for our clients. And we kind of get a very narrow vision of our job or our entrepreneurial footprint in the world. And and I really want to see lawyers expand beyond that because we're not just applying the law to facts and submitting those facts to a court, although, of course, that's a very key part of what lawyers do. But as lawyers, we are running and operating this business. And the business has the mission and it has a brand. If you remember just a couple times ago, we spoke about branding and why branding was so important. Of course, it's very important for visibility, but you know what? Branding and a sense of your purpose or mission in your law practice also helps guide you. And staying true to your brand isn't just an advertising tool. It's actually the theme of how you want your whole days, day-to-day, week-to-week work experience to be. And I believe that if you stay in tune with your brand, that you will experience more satisfaction, less stress, more effectiveness, and definitely more profit in your law practice. So that would be one of the key systems is really having a clear focus on who we are, what's our identity, so that we can consistently bring that message out to the world. All right. What are some of the other key systems that we need to have in place, Laurie? Right. So, right. That's exactly right. And so I would start there. And then I call another one workforce ethics or team ethics, I suppose you can call it also. And that's something that now this has several different aspects to it. And it's an important system and one that really needs to be developed. First of all, if you're working alone, even if you just have one person supporting you, but definitely if you have an assistant and a receptionist or a partner, something like that, you want to have clear expectations for what everybody is doing, okay? And that means that everyone knows kind of where their base of operations is, what they need for their own support, what they can expect from you, what you're going to provide for them. And then you, of course, want to be confident that you're going to get what you expect from them. 
it all around is a much happier experience when that's all laid out and there's a systematic approach to sharing the work that needs to be done. Now, one thing, there are a couple of different ways in which the business owner or the lawyer CEO gets involved in this, and that can be that that person's work habits can really affect the mood of the whole office. So, for example, if you are somebody who tends to procrastinate, or if you're a moody person, or if you're having some problems at home with a spouse or a child, and so you tend to get calls during the day and that take you away from your work, those kinds of things can be very disruptive to your office and there are ways to deal with those things and one of the most important ways is to be aware of how much of an interference and a disruption that can be so there's things that flow out of that such as being able to delegate well and being able to supervise well you can't just throw a stack of papers at a secretary or a legal assistant and say, okay, take care of this and remember what I told you last week. People aren't the mind whole, readers, are they? Right, absolutely. This is why I call it workforce or workplace ethics is, you know, the whole mood, the whole atmosphere is really critical. And if you're going to be successful, you have to have that system in place. And again, this is the kind of thing that you can create based on the individual aspects of any given office. You know, how many different personnel they have and uh, what their goals are, what kind of clients they deal with and so on. Mm. So you know, that's Lord, a very Mary, important. I think this is a, such a great system because you, you mentioned about um, being clear on their expectations. And I'd imagine that that would, as you said, an, entail the step-by-step of what the job ent- entails and the expectations of the level of quality and so forth. So you're really creating like this job description. So that means that if you're adding staff or you're promoting someone else, you've got a system in place that you can now train an incoming person or someone can step in and take over that role if need be, someone might be away. Now, if those systems aren't in place, it's going to be very hard for your team to work together and get things done efficiently and on time. And and of course, uh, that's just going to impact your profitabilities if you keep being late all the time. So great, great system. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, so you you want each staff person, each team member to have a buy-in. You know, everybody has to have a stake in the outcome. And indeed, if you really follow a system that you set up like this, everybody will have a much, much better daily work experience. And you'll be achieving the kind of success that really your potential says you should be achieving. Yeah. This um, system that you're talking about is so very important because, you know, for some of the lawyers, they may be starting off at a, a solo, you know, law practice. But as they continue to attract more clients, you can't do everything yourself, you know, manage cases and everything and and expect to grow your business. So team is going to be something that you eventually will continue to add to your law practice. And if you don't have the system in place, you're going to stunt the business's growth and the law practice's growth if you don't have a system in place to help you manage that. That's right. And that leads me really, even if you are only the sole practitioner and you're just starting out, or if you're the sole practitioner because you like it that way, one of the centerpieces of systems is what I call client cultivation. And I call it cultivation for a reason because, you know, there are client services, there's a 
attracting clients and all of that. But client cultivation is more than just serving clients. And so I want to share with you and with your audience two really important tips or guidelines that the practitioner can use to determine if what they're doing for the client is going to be successful in the client's eyes. And that means even if if they don't win the case in the end, they can still have a successful representation experience. So it's very simple too. Every step that's set up for this system should address the problem the client has. Now, if there's one large problem, you can break it out into small bits and identify those problems. And every step that you take, whether it's you or a st- or you're instructing a staff member to assist in that manner, every step should bring the client closer to their goal. So you've got to know from the outset, what is the result that the client wants to achieve? And what are the steps that you can take that you can offer to the client to address the problem in stages or all at once? And how does each step that you're taking bring the client closer to their goal? And that's something that you need to communicate to the client as you're working with them. And I find that that's a very important for building client loyalty. It's essential to look not at the client as though it's a one-time relationship, particularly in immigration law, but in any type of law practice. When you are working with one client, you want to develop repeatable or successive business that can come from that client. You need to look at the client as a whole not just their problem of the moment. And so that means that client is somebody who has a family. That client is somebody who probably has a workplace. That client is somebody who relates to a community. And you need to relate to the client in the sense that you want that client to be your ambassador to that family, that workplace, and that community. And you want them to understand and be a conscious, active participant in their work with you. That way, when I say client cultivation, that's really what I mean. You're going to cultivate client loyalty. You're going to get client cooperation, which is a huge uh, issue for many lawyers I know. Many times clients don't understand and they don't carry out what the lawyer asks them to do. And the way to cut through that is to have a system for working with the client, educating the client, checking in with the client, and touching base with the client in a way that is the most productive. So there's only one, I guess, related piece of that that I will mention, and that's client boundaries. That's equally as important. I see so many lawyers who fail to set firm, generous, firm, and loving <laughs> client boundaries. Can but you explain to people a little bit more about around boundaries? What do you mean by that if this is the first time someone's hearing that term, Laurie? Okay. Boundaries, the way I use the term, boundaries uh, can come up in, in various different contexts. But when I'm talking about boundaries with your clients, it means that they're, and with your team members as well, in your office, boundaries means that you have a certain lines that are drawn over which 
the client or the team member may not pass. You may be willing to answer a phone call after 5 p.m. You may be willing to give out your home phone number to certain clients who might be in crisis. You certainly might tell a team member if they're ill, they can call you the night before on a weekend. Those are ways that you're opening up what could be some of your boundaries. But you may have other boundaries that you cannot be passed over and that you set. Some of those might have to do with payment, for example. Um, if a client agrees to pay you in certain payment amounts at regular times, the client should not feel that he or she can come to you or not come to you at all and just not make that payment. Because you've drawn a line and said the this portion of the fee must be paid at this point. If the client comes to you and wants to renegotiate for whatever reason, generally, I would say as a rule, you have a boundary. And even if somebody lost a job, it may not be your choice to let go of that boundary. Now, obviously, in some type of terrible emergency, you may... You know, if your client is, gets arrested or they put him on a plane to take him out of the country or something like that, you know, there may be circumstances where you will violate your own boundaries. But setting boundaries is really critical. It helps everybody understand what part they play in the relationship and that it's, it's respectful to stick to the place that is their place and has been agreed upon for the relationship to move forward in a productive way. I think it's very important and this very much aligns with what you're talking about in the workforce, in the workplace, you know, system, ethics right. system, in that you identified the expectations for your staff and in this case, you're identifying the expectations of your clients and how you want the relationship to move forward. Because I imagine if you don't have boundaries in place, you really will be over having to over-deliver. You don't want to be able to be contacted if this is one of your boundaries 24-7 type of thing isn't so it really is to keep a safeguard and to ensure that uh, the relationship moves forward as professionally as possible absolutely it's really a dual responsibility it's client responsibility and it's entrepreneurial responsibility your accountability to your client and your team's accountability to your client and so there's a you know a separate boundary that exists between you and your team. You don't impose on them to stay uh, till 10 o'clock on Friday night when that's not their job description. And they don't leave work at two in the afternoon because their boyfriend came home from, you know, <laughs> from school or something like that. And those are just respectful boundaries that keep relationships very healthy. Yeah. So, Laurie, you talked about two very, very important systems there, the workforce ethics system, the client cultivation system. Is there any other system that you want to share or those are to the two main ones? Because I know you've got lots of systems work that you work <laughs> with clients. Are there any others that you want to just share and touch on now? Yeah, I do want to just, I'll mention one. I don't think we have enough time to go into it in great detail. First of all, I just want to remind everybody that I do view uh, the overriding mission or brand system as, as a great 
marker or something to check your work against in your business day, both with your team and with your clients, uh, to make sure that the systems you have in place are harmonious with your mission and your brand. You want to be furthering that. And if there's anything that comes up that doesn't seem to be harmonious, if there's a bit of a conflict or something like that, that's just a warning sign. It's not the end of the world. All that is, is like a heads up to take a moment, take some time, set it aside, not when you're doing something else, and examine that to figure out how that can be corrected and, you know, how you can improve that going forward. I guess I think that I have a two other things that relate to systems that I like to talk about. One, of course, is I have a signature system and in my you're seeing quite a bit of it actually because you're seeing a little bit of a taste of the branding work that I do and the niche building client attraction work that I do and the money mindset or money mirror work that I like to do with people so they can get paid what they're worth. That's all part of my signature system. That's what I, I offer to people. And just like that, lawyers in practice may have a signature system or, uh, that they have developed or that they can develop that puts together the essence of many of the, say, top four, five, or six practices in which they engage for the benefit of clients and for their business and take breaks them apart a bit so that we can see what works in each one, what's at work, what's functioning, how is it increasing our value, how is it enabling us to reach further, to provide more in-depth services, to become more sophisticated about our approach, to practice, any number of things. All of those components can be part of an office's or law practice's signature system. And that can range from implementing uh, very uh, high-tech systems to take care of most everything that has to be done. And it, it can range from that to simply making part of your signature system that you have community appreciation month or client appreciation day or that you decide that a component of your signature system is going to be a giving back to the community day. Mm -hmm. So there are any number of things that you can do within a signature system. It's all what works for you and it's all what helps you internalize the value that you're giving and helps you project that to the outside world. Love that. And what's the last system then? Okay, well, the last system really is what I'm referring to here, and that is, I don't know what you want to call it. I suppose you can call it kind of packaging. But what I've been thinking a lot about lately in terms of systems and breaking out what lawyers do and other professionals do in their practices, I see that we tend to be very linear and we tend to uh, say, okay, here's one client and one task and that's it. And instead of really looking at it organically, I think that it would be very helpful in the system that I like to encourage lawyers try to develop is a bit more of seeing uh, holistically what they're offering their clients. So instead of, it, in, this goes back to pricing and getting paid what you're worth, uh, but it also goes to how you are presenting the service that you provide. And I think that the packaging up the components 
of a good lawyer-client relationship is a great system to have because instead of taking it in this linear kind of piecemeal way like, well, now I have to go to court, now I have to bail you out of jail, now I have to go to court and we go to trial, and now whatever is going to happen, instead of that, what you're looking at is, is quite different. What you're looking at is What's my relationship with this client? What does this client need? This client needs representation to accomplish certain things that will represent solutions to problems. And what's entailed with that? Well, that might involve an in-person interview. That might entail several phone calls or emails or texts to check on the status of the case that might include tasks that the lawyer sets up for the client and the client checking back in with documents or providing records. It may include library work and any number of different components of a very successful service. And my idea about packages is that lawyers present their clients with this bigger picture, what we do and what all is entailed, and that the client, I think, from that will get a a much more holistic sense of what goes into that representation, the value that that client is receiving from that representation, and I believe that it will support a bit of higher pricing on client services and much greater client appreciation as well. So I think it's going to advantage both the lawyer and the client. And I like to help lawyers think about those kinds of systems that can help them develop packages to present to their clients so that they're not faced with kind of nitpicking. Should I take this call? Should I not take Mm. this call? Was this paid for? No, we're looking at the whole thing. Streamlines Uh, everything, doesn't it? Once you have that Yes, it it really does. Mm -hmm. Laurie, you've just mentioned some incredible, incredible systems. And I can see how having each of these in place can really make a significant difference, both productively, efficiently, and also profitability wise to a law practice. And I know you've really only just touch the surface in the work that you do with clients. So if people are interested in finding out more about you, more about how you can help them set up systems in their business and perhaps some of the gaps where they don't have systems in place where they should to make themselves more efficient and more profitable, how can they get in contact with you? Okay, they can definitely contact me by email. The best way is to email me at lori, L-O-R-Y, at ideaswithlaurie.com. That's spelled I-D-E-A-S with W-I-T-H, Laurie, L-O-R-Y, dot com, Laurie at ideaswithlaurie.com. Just send me an email. Let me know you heard me on the podcast. I'll get back to you. I'm happy, Anne-Marie, to once again offer your listeners the opportunity to request a discovery session with me. I'm happy to send them an application when they email me and they can fill it out. We can schedule a time to go over a bit of their business situation and see if perhaps my programs and my systems might be of help to them. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, I know we have one more show coming up in this Ask the Expert series. So what are we going to be talking about when we next connect? Well, when we next connect, I think we're going to talk about a couple of little bumps along the way that uh, often come up for lawyers, and it's easier than it may seem to address those and clear them. We're talking here about obstacles such as the stress 
the burnout, of the everyday grind. And we're also going to talk about something that I do see a problem that lawyers have, and perhaps others, I know other professionals have this as well, including coaches and uh, many other types of entrepreneurs do have this problem, and that has to do with writer's block and procrastination. The notion of just, you know, not being able to gear yourself up to get down to business. And I'm going to hopefully give you some tips that will help you make those problems just evaporate. Wonderful. Can't wait for that show. So once again, Laurie, thanks for sharing your expertise. And uh, we look forward to connecting with you on the next show. Thank you, Anne-Marie. You've been listening to Ask the Expert podcast. Are you an expert with a message to share with other ambitious entrepreneurs? To be considered for one of our featured guest spots on an upcoming expert podcast series, go to asktheexpertpodcast.com.